0: The following is a presentation of Gallery Church Downtown, part of a family of neighborhood churches seeking to display God's greatness to the world. For more information, please visit gcbdowntown.com.
1: My name is Rachel and I'm a member of the prayer team here at Gallery, Um, so I do have the honor of praying over... um, our church and for our hearts before we listen to the message this morning. Um, and I also just wanted to invite um, anyone who is stirred by today's message and would love a prayer partner, I'd love to pray with you today. I usually hang out in the back um, by the communion tables, um, and anyone else who's here with a, one of those red lanyards would also love to do that. Um, so let's pray. Um, Heavenly Father, um, I thank you for this morning, and I thank you for bringing everyone here um, I thank you for being here and ushering us into your presence. Um, God, I ask as we again transition into another time of worship um, that you would be with us. Um, We're entering into this time of worshiping you by opening our hearts and our ears to what you have to teach us um, through 1 Thessalonians and through Ellis' message. Thank you for... um, the message that is to come, and I just pray that we will all have open hearts and open ears to hear what you want to tell us today. It is unique to each one of us, and I'm really excited um, for what you are going to whisper to one of us, or to all of us today. Um, in your name, amen.
0: Hello, I'm Ethan Naylor, and I'm going to be doing this scripture reading today. Uh, we're in 1 Thessalonians 2, verses 17 through 1 Thessalonians 2, uh, chapter 3, to verse 13. So, 1 Thessalonians 2, verse 17. But, brothers and sisters, when we were orphaned by being separated from you for a short time, in person, not in thought, out of our intense longing, we made every effort to see you. For we wanted to come to you. Certainly, I, Paul, did, again and again, but Satan blocked our way. For what is our hope, our joy, or the crown in which we have glory in the presence of our Lord Jesus when he comes? Is it not you? Indeed, you are our glory and joy. So when we could stand it no longer, we thought it best to be left by ourselves in Athens. We sent Timothy, who is our brother and co-worker in God's service, in spreading the gospel of Christ, to strengthen and encourage you in your faith, so that no one would be unsettled by these trials. For you know quite well that we were destined for them. In fact, when we were with you, we kept telling you that we would be persecuted, and it turned out that way, as you well know. For this reason, when I could stand it no longer, I set out to find out about your faith. I was afraid that in some way the tempter had tempted you and that our labors might be might have been in vain. But Timothy had just now come to us from you and had been brought good news about your faith and love. He has told us that you always have pleasant memories of us and that you long to see us, just as we also long to see you. Therefore, brothers and sisters, in all our distresses and persecution, we were encouraged about you because of your faith. And now we really live since we are standing, since you are standing firm in the Lord. How can we thank God enough for you in return for all the joy you have in the presence of God because of you? Night and day we pray most earnestly that we will see you again and supply what is lacking in your faith. Now may our God and Father himself and our Lord Jesus clear the way for us to come to you. May the Lord make your love increase and overflow for each other and for everyone else, just as ours does for you. May he strengthen your hearts so that you will be blameless and holy in the presence of God, and fa- and Father when our Lord Jesus comes with all His holy ones. May God bless the reading of word. Amen. Amen.
2: To me, um, I sometimes wish that you could get into a portion of my head because the rest of it would probably drive you crazy, but the section of awareness that I get a chance from my vantage point to see that some of you might not get a chance to glimpse, but we planned the series out months ago, and for this passage to start with when I was orphaned from you, and it's all built around the image of a parent being separated from a child. I, just, I want you guys to understand that that what we're facing in our country is really an imagery of spiritual relationship that Paul is now having with this church. So I don't want to make a statement this morning. The point isn't about what we should or shouldn't be doing on the border. I just want to draw that energy into the fact that in this passage, you want to know how Paul is feeling. He's feeling like the child that's been separated from a parent or the other way around, like the parent that's been separated from a child, where somebody has literally come and grabbed you and taken you out of the arms of somebody else and has made you an orphan. All right, That's the energy into this chapter. So let me, let me start by a quick review. Paul is telling these believers in Thessalonia, you are not following Jesus by accident. Like, it's not just random that the good news of Jesus came to you. He is making it very clear in this entire letter, and he laid a foundation for it in chapter 1, is that you now understand the message of Jesus, what we refer to as the gospel, because of a specific purpose that God wants you to accomplish, and so hold on to that, that God thinks so highly of you that he's giving you a specific purpose, And there's so much of that that I think that we can still learn from because many of us think that the purpose of Jesus was just to come forgive us of our sins. But Jesus came to forgive us of our sins so that we could fulfill our purpose. Because with the sin in our life, we are not able to fulfill it. But with the revelation of Jesus in our life, we are now opened up to be able to do something. And then I love the way that Paul is redundant. And I've talked about this. I am a run-on sentence person. When I write, editors always laugh, and then they come back and like, I think this is what you meant, all right? Paul is a run-on prayer. He just prays, and then he gets distracted and talks, and then he prays, and then he talks, and then he prays, and then he talks, and then he says amen, and you're like, I didn't realize we were still praying, okay? (laughs) But yet in this, he's saying to this church, when, in the memory, the emotion of being taken from your parent, like I've been made an orphan from you. I didn't want to leave you, I was forced to leave you, but I still love you and still want that nurturing relationship that is supposed to be there. And he's saying to them, I want you to know that you haven't, that I haven't stopped praying for you. And there's something powerful in those words being said to this early church. And then he comes back to say, I know that you are excelling in faith. I know you're excelling in love and you're excelling in hope, so much so that people are talking about you. He's not saying he, like the, the burden of evangelism isn't that great when our words and our actions line up. I want you guys to hear that, okay? I need you to let that set on you. The burden of us sharing the good news of Jesus Christ is not a heavy burden when we have right words and right actions. And when the right words and right actions are lined up, people start saying, Have you noticed them? Have you noticed them? Have you noticed that? Have, have you have you seen that group of people? They're just there's something special about that group of people. They are, they are living for a different Lord. They're, they're, they're singing different songs. And so that is what is happening so far. And then there was a poem I read last week, and I want to read it again. I couldn't find the author. I looked a little bit more this week. I still couldn't find it. But the poem says this, I'd rather see a sermon than hear one any day. I'd rather one would walk with me than merely show the way. Excuse me, I'd rather one walk with me than, yes, than merely show the way. And then, the eyes a better pupil, more willing than the ear, but fine counsel is confusing, but an example is always clear. But here's the thing that Paul is saying to them. I know you understand good teaching. I know that you hear good things. I know that you have good faith, hope, and love, But your testing, your trials, your circumstances do not diminish the work of the cross of Jesus Christ. And that is what is now the shape of the whole letter. He's saying to them that this doesn't mean that something is wrong with God's mission. It means that God's mission is being effective because he's changing us to be a change in the world because he wants his kingdom to come, his will to be done, and we serve a different kingdom. And so that kind of gets us caught up. And so here's what we can learn today each of us has our own work of love to perform. That's the point. Let that set. I put it on a slide for you. You can take a mental picture. You can take your phone out, take a picture of the slide. You can write it down in your journal. But that's the point that you need to grasp from what Paul is saying in this passage, is that each and every one of you, each, myself included, God has a special loving work that he wants us to perform. Some of us, our loving work is a quiet and secret type of love. Other people have a calling like Paul to have an incredibly public, very strong and dynamic and what seems to be in an earthly perspective, a massive global at that point in time, regional impact that he was having. But each and every person that Paul is talking to in is saying, do you understand that you have been saved and that you, are t- that you have a special loving work to do despite all challenges? But I love the way that he talks about this because in this passage, in chapter two, in the chapter three, it is speaking of a pastor congregation, a pastor family of God type of love and communication. So you have a pastor, Paul, who was ripped from the congregation. He wants to be with them. He sees what they had, he knows what they'd been taught. He's seen them excel in what they've been taught, but he also sees things that are lacking in what they've been taught. And he doesn't want them to get discouraged because he knows they need to continue to mature. And he's been saying to them that you you need to understand someday you are going to be my hope and my crown, my potential joy. Like, there's going to come a day where Paul and Jesus are going to be standing there together and the congregation of people are going to be with him, and that imagery is what Paul brings into this passage, saying, I want you guys to understand, I'm going to be given an account, but when you stand with me before God, you are going to look like my joy, my hope, and my crown. And if we could figure this out here in Baltimore... And and the and and understand that someday that the, this relationship, in the special form that it is, is going to have a eternal impact in heaven that is going to be beyond our wildest imagination. But the challenge for us is is that is the pastor and the family of God. Do we? Do we understand the challenge of that as well as the encouragement of that, and do we look forward to it? And so here's the challenge of what this pastor-congregation relationship looks like, I believe, as he's turning from chapter 2 into chapter 3. The challenge is, is they need to learn and to live the faith. And so the relationship is is that there's a voice, a person that continues to come back in with others. Like Paul has Timothy and Titus and others. And you're gonna, we're getting ready to put some of the new elders that have been nominated into some teachings in August. You're going to get a chance to meet them and to hear from them and be invested in them. And it's the responsibility of us to continue to help us to learn and to see what it looks like to live out our faith so that our evangelism load is light. Because if we have good understanding and good actions, our faith is going to excel. And then the other challenge is is that there has to be a way that that we keep challenging us to not lose sight of our hope because our hope should be celebrated now. We're not celebrating the victory in the future. We can start celebrating the victory now, and there's joy in us in the hope, in the midst of even the frustrations and the pain and cancer and the things that we're facing. We can still say our celebration of joy is not going to be hindered because we know that Christ is on the throne. We know that his kingdom's coming. It's not a if his kingdom is only coming. It is a when his kingdom is coming. And many of us already have moments where we've seen God's kingdom come already, and we've had a chance to feel the veil, pulled back in what it is like for Jesus to be fully enthroned. And the other challenge that we're finding here that I believe is helpful in the ways that a pastor and a congregation relate is that it it helps to consolidate and to practice the love revealed in the gospel. That's why so much of our service we use phrases like, we're now going to practice hospitality. We're going to come and practice the Lord's table together. We're going to practice prayer through what we call a daily window. We're going to practice singing. We're now going to practice in how we address and communicate with each other because we want to say to each other, this is where we work it out so that we can go and live it out. And this should be a safe place for us to be able to put things into practice. And the Bible, like I said, you guys were here in January. I had 66 different books piled up on this table. I don't know if you guys remember that. When you think about my responsibility, my responsibility is to bring all that into a pamphlet so that you can say, I can do that. That makes sense. So the responsibility of us as elders towards you is to say, Jesus is this, and let me offer Jesus to you in a way that you can make sense of it all. And so therefore, some of you make it difficult. Like there were two men in the car with me yesterday riding to camp and they said let's ask you some theological questions while we have you and i'm like can i turn on the radio uh, you know um, but you know but the that's part of what the responsibility is it's like what are we needing to learn how do we need to continue to move forward because there is pressure that is building all around us and i want to make a special reference here this passage shockingly as it may sound was written before electronic communication This passage was before even a reliable and speedy postal service, if there's ever been. And there is no moment in this passage where Paul can get real-time data. Can you guys understand this? So when Paul is saying, I wonder how my kids are doing, he can't pull up his phone and look at an app and say, okay, they're on Pratt Street. (laughs) I, I I can do that. Unless my kids turn the app off and then they know they're in big trouble. Uh, But (laughs) Paul can't have that type of real-time information with people. Can I say it again? He loves these people. He's been orphaned from them. He didn't want to leave them. He was stripped from them. That's the imagery here. And he's saying to them that I want to know what's going on. And I want to say this too, because everyone in here, whether you have good ones or bad ones, we all have Parents. And I'm a parent, and so I'm going to speak to you as a parent for a minute, even though I know that that might seem like you can take a vacation and thought just for a second, but I want you to stay with me. Because parents lie awake at night, and they worry about their kids. And then their kids use scriptures like Matthew 6 and Philippians 4 that say, well, Jesus said not to be anxious. (laughs) Or Paul told the church in Philippi not to be anxious. And they're missing the point, because we love you. We lie awake at night because we want to know you're safe. We want to know that you're under the care and protection of the Father in heaven. And there is a thing in a parent that doesn't rest when they're not sure about what their kids are doing or the condition that they're in. I was reading a story in preparation for this um, from a pastor in England, and he had a child go on a world tour. Well, that child was having such a great time that they didn't contact them for two weeks. I mean, no email, no Facebook messages, nothing. No, It was silent. And the parents really got to the point where they weren't even sure if they had made flights we're in different parts of the world, and then eventually, as the church is praying for the safety of the kids, the kids finally call home and are like, "Dad, we're having a great time," and they're like, "I want to kill you," <laughs> you know, because we now live in a in a world where we know we can know that people are okay. But that wasn't a, a convenience that Paul had; he couldn't know, so he had to send Timothy. He had to go, and he had to wait for Timothy to get there safely had to wait for Timothy to do the research, and they had to wait for Timothy to return. But yet Paul is concerned. Let me tell you why parents are anxious. Let me tell you why Paul was anxious for the church, why pastors should be anxious for their congregation. And I'm saying anxious in what I feel like is a biblical way of saying a healthy level of parental love and concern is that there is a tempter. Our different, our different translations call it different things. I love one translation that says the Satan. Um, it calls it the Satan, not Satan. It calls it the Satan, you know, that the Satan is blocking, you know, the Satan is tempting. And, And so whatever view, and I even had this as a discussion with the guys in the car yesterday, there are a lot of people that have no problem believing in God, but a lot of people don't want there to be a Satan. They don't want there to be a the Satan or the tempter or the minions that serve an evil master. They don't want that. But when you start looking at the things that are going on in the world and some of the choices people make, that's inhuman, It's there's got to be a Satan, a tempter, something that is doing great evil because they know they're defeated and they are trying to harm as many people as they can before Jesus comes back. And so in this, Paul is away from a group of people he feels orphaned from, and he knows that there's a real enemy at work, so why would he rest? Why would it be easy for him? Why would it be something that is simple. Well, well, I'm just trusting them to Jesus and because he cares about them. He doesn't want them harmed, doesn't want them hurt, and he witnessed the persecution that they were under. And so here, let me, let me, let me continue to move through chapter 3. The, the fact of the, that the suffering is inevitable is difficult for a pastor to a congregation. The burden that I feel in my prayers is, Lord, protect all of them from any form of harm. Only prosper them. You know, I would love for it to be a prosperity gospel church that you joined up with this morning where everybody's going to leave with an extra $1,000 in your pocket and your car is going to be a miraculously a Mercedes and, and, um, and all of your vacation dreams are going to come true. Um, but the likelihood is that most of you are going to leave into your troubles And it's not because our prayers aren't effective, but yet we are in a world full of troubles where we're supposed to shine lightly into the dark, and we need to equip you to be able to take that good news of the gospel into what's coming, because there are many forms of Christianity that want to remove our life from troubles before Jesus comes back, and that's dangerous, because then you get disappointed with God. I love the worship team set for you today. I know that some of you may have had a hard time engaging with it, but can I tell you what they did for you? They reminded you of everything that was true about God. They reminded you about everything that God has for you in his love and the expression of love towards you. So our songs were specifically picked, thank you very much, to build you, your mind back around how God wants to put his will into you, his heart into you. We actually asked God in our song if we were singing and it was a part of our life, is that We want that to be in us, and if we're not careful, we will come in here and have words that we sing and practices that we do, but we really don't believe them. That's the danger. And if you follow me on social media, I posted on Twitter this um, earlier today when I was reading through my notes this morning, is that how we pray and how we live really does say what we believe about God. Okay, how we pray and what we do really does say what you and I believe about God without us ever having to articulate it. And so here's, this, here's what we know to be true. We follow Jesus. That's a fact. We should be following Jesus. But the truth is, is when we, when we claim salvation in Christ, we are saying, he's my Lord. And if he's Lord, then by definition, he gets the rights to all of me and my direction is to follow after him fully. And if that's the case, how can we avoid what our Lord walked through? If we are saying, I am latched on to Jesus, then I'm going to latch onto him and what he endured, what he went through, what, we, what he processed, and we're following him through the darkness of this world, is it shocking that we too are following after a crucified Lord? So do we, or do we not actually follow a crucified Jesus, because if that's the case, we will most likely face a lot of the same things Christ faced. Now, let's look at verse 10. I put it back on the slide for you, in case you shut your Bible or you turned it off. In verse 10, it says this, night and day we pray most earnestly that we may see you again and supply what is lacking in your faith. I love the honesty of that, because if we go back to our joy series, one of the things we talked about in joy is that you and I are not complete yet. We even took a Sunday and looked at each other left to right and said, you're not complete yet, I'm not complete yet. Because if we come into church thinking I am complete, we're in real danger of doing harm in the body of Christ. Because then we're only looking for what we can tell other people they need to change rather than being open for God to do a changing work in us. And and in this passage, you begin to see that he is saying, night and day we pray most earnestly that you will see again and supply what is lacking in your faith. I, I love how he is describing prayer. Could we describe our prayer life in this way? Night and day we pray earnestly that we may see you again and supply what is lacking in your faith. What would it look like if that was an honest statement Not only of our pastors and elders, but our growth community leaders and the other leaders that are leading in our church family for each other. If we learn to pray like Paul for this in this way, what type of testimony and relationship could be cultivated in our church family? If not, what is it about our vision of God and the gospel that is allowing us to be satisfied with less? Why are we okay with less prayer? Why are we okay with less yearning in our hearts for one another and where we'd be satisfied with that? I think it's a great way for us to review that. So here Paul is telling this church, much like he told the church in Philippi, in Rome, in Galatia, and all these places, that prayer is what is going to help you grow in your confidence to face the trials of your faith. Many of us are wanting to be strong in our faith, And Paul is relentlessly saying to us, you must develop a prayer life. You must learn to pray with people. You must learn to pray with each other in your own quiet heart to the Lord. And then in in Ephesians 3, verse 20, he goes on to say this, now to him who is able to do immeasurably more than than we ask or imagine according to his power that is at work in us. So here he's saying, Paul is saying to the church in Ephesus, we are praying to the one that can do more if we're continuing to allow the Holy Spirit to do its work in us, and I also have an argument if we go back and look at Ephesians 1 and 2, that we do more when we're multi-ethnic and we're multi-economic. That church in Ephesus was a multi-ethnic, multi-economic church that we learned to worship together. Rich, poor, slave, men and women were worshiping in the same room together for the first time. All of the things that were happening and the more diverse, the more the Holy Spirit has power to do more than we ever could imagine. And so how did Paul model prayer here? Let me give you a couple of things. So a lot of us are saying, I want to learn to pray for people, I want to learn to pray for people. Here's how we pray. You can write this down. You can hold on to it this week. We're going to continue to put this out in front of our growth community leaders this next year. We want this to become a model for how we pray. Here, Paul is modeling that our prayers must be focused on God. Must be. We have to learn to be able to sit in our prayers and to be able to realize I'm not talking to myself. I'm not just reading a list that I've written down. I am actually talking to God, and we want his will to be done. It's got to be focused on him, and the second thing Paul is doing here is he's looking eagerly towards God's future. All of his prayers are about what the people are becoming. All of his prayers are about what they're heading towards, about the impact of their life, about the impact of their ministry. All of it is forward thinking, and then in, in verse, and, and then the, the third point is in praying for the work of God's Spirit in the present. So here's how I see this: is like we, I'm praying, Lord, for our church family. God, I want Your will. I want Your way modeled in the Lord's prayer. I want it to be all about You. I want Your future for us. I want Your will to be done in our group. I want Your and here's the names of the people. And then, Lord, please let your spirit do its completing work in me. Let your spirit do its completing work in Bob. Let your spirit do his completing work in Michelle. Let your spirit do his completing work in, in Jason. And just we're going through the people in our life. And if we want to know the simple things that brings great glory and honor to God that can bring incredible power into our life and ministry is us having prayers that are focused on God, prayers that are moving towards God's future, and prayers for God's spirit to complete its work in us today. What would happen if we made Paul's prayer a pattern for our own prayer times. Couldn't imagine. I mean, it could be immeasurable. Let's pray. Father, in Jesus' name, I just ask that we would be a people that would become more and more comfortable with praying, that we would also be a people that understands what it looks like for our words, and our actions to both speak of the good news of Jesus Christ. Father, we are facing troubles of many different kinds. Some of our troubles are intellectual. Some of them are sins, pride. Father, there's still an Aphrodite in our culture today. There's still a Mars in our culture today. There's still a mammon in our culture today. Gods that are pulling at us, and we need to have our eyes fixed on Jesus Would your spirit please help us to keep our eyes fixed on Jesus? Would your spirit please do its work? And, Father, we don't want to resist that spirit in any way. Would your spirit please move freely in us, Lord, we ask. Father, we want to remain faithful. We know that this world is trying to rock our faith, knock us off of it, but we want our feet firmly planted on Jesus to endure the storms. Father, we want to excel in loving each other as well as loving the people that we run into. Father, there is nobody that we are to not love. Father, we, there are people sitting in this room that have experienced the worst of Baltimore, and the people that have, have been evil towards us, Father, we even need to have the capacity to love. And so, Father, we want to, to show the example of Christ's joy through suffering. And so, Lord, would you help us to continue to walk with Jesus through it all?